Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Joining us for the conversation, as always, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Senior Governmental Affairs Advisor with Governmental Affairs U.S. here at UBS. Shane, thank you for dropping by here on a Friday morning. Great to have you back. Absolutely. Great to be with you, as always. So, Shane, thinking back to this week on Wednesday, if we begin with the campaign trail, we've had some prior conversations on this. Thinking back to earlier in the fall, though, we did see the final GOP debate that was held again on Wednesday with only four candidates up on the stage. Since our last conversation, the field has narrowed, and this is ahead of the Iowa caucus comes January, so right around the corner. Though, thinking about the debate, what did you take away from what was exchanged in terms of topics, sentiment, and what points do you feel resonated the most with voters? Yeah, no, it was a fascinating debate. And you're right, you know, with a narrowed field, there were only four people on stage, uh, uh, Governor Christie, Governor uh, Haley, Governor DeSantis, and Vivek Ramaswamy. So, you know, that allowed for them, you know, to spar a little bit more with um, fewer people uh, taking up airtime. And, and you know, it, it's interesting to me from a high level that if you look back at the debates, you know, um, this had the lower lowest viewership with just about four million. And think about in the context of, you know, our country is uh, some 350 million people. And so we're talking about, you know, maybe a little bit over one percent actually tuned in um, to this. So and then compare that to the first debate in August that had you know, uh, about 13 million. So, you know, there's a great question to ask, you know, have people made up their minds or people less interested, you know, um, you know, what, what is going on and what's driving uh, the viewership down, but to the debate itself, you know, it's, 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 um, there was a lot of cantankerous moments, you know, both DeSantis and Ramswamy going after Haley you know, Christie kind of defending Haley at some points in an effort to go after Ramswamy. So, you know, the back and forth, while they did cover some important uh, policy issues, you know, that kind of got, in my mind, you know, forgotten about because it was a lot of about, you know, um, them going after each other versus, you know, trying to talk about the issues. Or at least I think that's the takeaway. And you're seeing Vivek Ramswamy take some heat for, you know, some of his um, maybe low blows in the minds of some people. But, you know, a lot of interesting issues that were discussed, you know, uh, from foreign policy and trying to, uh, some trying to describe Haley as, you know, the, the Liz Cheney or, you know, globalist wing of the Republican Party and uh, them all really trying to claim the mantle who, of who's toughest on China. Um and I think that that is an interesting one because, you know, former President Trump likes to perceive himself as the toughest on China. And so it's interesting to watch them go after what uh, sometimes is perceived as a strength for Trump and possibly uh, expose some weakness. You know, uh, that's going to be an interesting one to follow, I think. And I think that also uh, portends for, you know, the future of our uh, policies in the U.S. is going to continue likely to be very tough on China for years to come. 
it definitely was a very spirited debate. And as you pointed out, a lot of key foreign domestic policy topics were covered. So we'll see how this ends up comes January with the Iowa caucus and look forward to speaking about that as we get closer. I do want to pivot a bit, turn to Capitol Hill, as this week we did see headlines surrounding Senate Republicans blocking a vote to advance an aid package aimed at Ukraine. How do you see this, Shane, playing out here? And is this issue, is it relevant to government funding negotiations coming up in January? Yeah, this is uh, an aid package coming in at over $110 billion. The bulk would be for Ukraine, but uh, there would also be funds for um, Israel, Taiwan, and some uh, border security issues. You know, I think, you know, Republicans opposed um, for their base concern that, you know, uh, there isn't enough being done for uh, border security. Uh, if you were to hold a vote, you know, kind of in a vacuum on those individual issues, Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, they would pass. But when packaged together in that large, you know, Republicans see this as, you know, the critical moment where, you know, they can get some stronger border security measures in place. And I think they needed to show to Democrats that they were serious about this. So I think while this vote Failed. It kind of serves as a turning point moment. And you're now seeing some Democrats who, you know, were trying to, uh, um, you know, lay low, let's say, on border security, start to pop their head and say, yes, this is uh, an issue that should be addressed. So, you know, there are serious conversations going forward, um, you know, as far as will they uh, actually yield a result that ends up getting this bill passed. I think I would say I'm cautiously optimistic, but it's extremely fluid. So I think the next week, week and a half is going to be critical um, for this package to move forward. And with that, though, in the context uh, of government funding that comes due on January 19th, you know, in theory, this should be done before that that comes about and shouldn't play into government funding issues. But, you know, hey, when dealing with Congress, you know, anything could happen and it could fall apart and it could all be um, uh, become one larger package in January. But I think lawmakers are trying to avoid that scenario and get this done before they depart for the holidays. Yeah, to your point, Shane, this can go in a variety of directions, so something we'll keep an eye out for, but thank you for the background on this. So another topic I want to bring up relevant to our industry, this is sticking with Congress this week. We did see several U.S. Bank chief executive officers testify. What was the nature of this hearing, and why has it been making headlines? Yeah, the CEOs of the nation's largest banks testified uh, in the Senate this week. And what has become kind of an annual grilling exercise for lawmakers, you know, as in the past, the executives needed to respond to questions on a, a wide range of topics, uh, everything from ESG, which is environmental, social and governance policies, to consumer financial protections, cryptocurrency, AI, sanctions, among others. However, you know, this time was a little bit different as um, the CEOs were able to go on the offensive instead of being purely on the defensive. And this time they could be on the offensive against regulators' proposed increases to capital bank requirements. Um, and, you know, there was some bipartisan concern about the impact of 
of um, these capital requirements and what it would mean um, for lending and other bank activities and, you know, what it may also mean that, you know, it may incentivize more of banking activities to migrate to lesser regulated sectors. So, you know, it was actually a really interesting hearing from that perspective. You know, uh, I think the regulators are going to hear more about these concerns from these capital requirement proposals, and and they may need to make some major changes um, based on, you know, um, uh, what Congress is saying and other stakeholders. So this is going to be fluid. But, you know, from that perspective of uh, the hearing in general, the, yeah, the the annual exercise lived on this year, and, um, you know, we'll see if it continues into 2024. Well, Shane, thank you for some takeaways from that hearing. It was interesting to see some of that footage and some of those exchanges. And thank you for covering the ground you did with us today. I know we'll have one more Washington Weekly podcast for 2023 coming up next week that our listeners and clients can look forward to. In the meantime, Shane, have a great weekend and do look forward to picking back up with our conversation again next week. Thank you, Dan, for having me as always. And to anyone who celebrates Hanukkah, I hope they have a a wonderful Hanukkah. Thank you, Shane. Again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Senior Governmental Affairs Advisor with Governmental Affairs U.S. here at UBS. I do want to point out to our listeners and our clients of UBS that you can locate the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can now be located up on UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. Again, that's UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 